The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast. Dr. Taz. Your good health journey starts now. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. On every episode of this show, we're going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is Dr. Jay Davidson. Dr. Davidson focuses on functional and natural medicine with a specialty in chronic Lyme disease and parasites. He actually completed his undergraduate studies at the University of Wisconsin, majoring in biology with a biomedical concentration and a chemistry minor. He received his doctorate of chiropractic care at the Northwestern College of Chiropractic in Minnesota. And he focuses, as you may have guessed, on functional and natural medicine. He's a popular speaker and a two-time number one international best-selling author and the host of the recent Chronic Lyme Disease Summits and the Parasite Summit. Welcome to the show, Dr. Davidson. It is great to be here with you, Dr. Taz. Well, we are thrilled to have you here because I've got to be 100% honest. These are areas that really trip up patients and they really honestly trip up providers as well. I know um, I've been in practice with my integrative practice for a decade, believe it or not. And this is an area where I feel like there's still a lot of gray. There's still a lot of confusion. There are so many different people across the country doing so many different things for Lyme disease. There's so much confusion over parasites. I'm really, really excited because I'm hoping you're going to help clarify that not only for us, but for so many people out there struggling with these things. Why do you think, what do you think is happening? First of all, let's dig into Lyme disease first, and then we can uh, segue into parasites. What do you think is happening? Why? Why is this coming to light now? What do you think is happening in our landscape that is uh, bringing this more to the attention? Well, I believe it's it's almost synonymous with Lyme disease and parasites, that it's the environment, that our body terrain uh, is so toxic and so stressed out that it's attracting these different types of pathogens, whether it's bacteria like Lyme disease or uh, letting the viruses start getting triggered and activated within the body like Epstein-Barr or cytomegalia to also create an environment that allows parasites to thrive in our body. And so we're, we're coming under an age or really within an age right now of chronic infection that I believe is manifesting because of the toxicity epidemic and also the fact that I, I just feel like we're more stressed out now than we've ever been. I agree. And I'm, you know, we're seeing this over and over and there, uh, the challenge for the patient, for everybody out there listening is really calling this and making these diagnoses and really helping people navigate a proper treatment plan. So if it is the environment and if it is our, just our overall stress and toxicity burden, what do you think, you know, for somebody struggling, you know, with these diagnoses, what do you think their first step is? Like, how do they nail the diagnosis? I think everybody out there wants to know. What are some of the symptoms that may make them suspicious that they're dealing with one of these two issues? And then what do we, and I've, and I've been advocating, you know, for this for so long, I think as, as patients and even as providers, you know, you may need to actually physically walk in and lay the case for your, your practitioner so that they have a better ability to follow this. Because even for the, from the practitioner perspective, there's way too much confusing information out there. So from your perspective, like what are the symptoms, you know, how do we nail the diagnosis for either one of these? And then we can talk about treatment shortly. Yeah, uh, those are great questions. So, I mean, really it comes down to the idea that unfortunately mainstream medicine just doesn't recognize the stuff. And, and if they're going to run testing, the testing is uh, really inadequate in the standard realm, let alone even in the advanced functional medicine realm, I would say it's still questionable at best. I mean, there was research done two years ago where they looked at 45 
new parasite species they had never really looked at from a genetic standpoint, and they found over a million new genes. So my question then is, as I see that, okay, wow. can we really rely off of PCR parasite testing if we're finding, we just found a million new genes that I, I feel like it's too early that we can properly rely just on testing. So I, I'm under the assumption that, you know what, I'm going to treat everybody that I work with, and of course the clients that I work with is chronic illness, but I'm going to treat everybody as if there is chronic infection and there specifically is chronic parasite infection because I've yet to be proved wrong out of you know the hundreds of cases that I've worked with, let alone the hundreds of people that are in an at-home program that I have, you know, where they're going on their own, I have yet to see anybody where it's like, oh, yeah, I actually had nothing uh, parasitic related and that wasn't a big deal at all. It, it always seems to be one of those missing pieces in the journey for health. So interesting. And what, where do you think the shift happened where we went from a few bugs that we deal with to, like you're saying, what did you say, 45,000 different parasites and bugs that we're dealing with today? When Can you put your finger on when that shift happened? Um, gosh, I mean, as you look at it, look at EMF or EMR, electromagnetic radiation, it's only increasing 2G, 3G. Mm -hmm. Now we're rolling out 5G. Everybody's got wi Wi-Fi or as I like to call it, Wi-Fi in your house, uh, Bluetooth, you know, everything <laughs> is smart. So we are, we are constantly being bombarded by this energy that we can't even see that is a constant stressor. I think that's really one of those modern day adrenal fatigue uh, issues right now. 25% uh, of buildings, and this is including where you work, go to school, and even live, have mold in them, and mold suppresses the immune system. So I believe that our environment is very harmful right now, let alone the 85,000 different chemicals that have been created by man. Hardly any of them, like any of them, have been studied, let alone any of them have been studied how they interact with one another. So we, we're in this toxic soup bowl. Uh, unfortunately, we share one atmosphere in Earth. And it's not to get, you know, really uh, fearful right now. It's just the reality that we're, we're in a very toxic environment. Uh, we have a lot of stressors, electromagnetic radiation, the environment, you know, digital uh, stressors, if you will. We have moldy environments, and then that's just setting us up to have these chronic infections rage. And I believe that, you know, we stay up late at night. We're on our iPhones. We're on our iPads. We're being exposed to. Uh, you know, blue light that's suppressing the quality of sleep so our bodies don't heal. And, and I feel like we're just moving in the wrong direction that we need a shift. You know, we need to clean our environment up and that's what's going to allow us to snap back health-wise. Fantastic. Okay, so let's go back to then, uh, we've, we're stressed, we're being exposed to a lot of different toxins, we're more, more, vulnerable, uh, more vulnerable to more bugs that are out there. What are the symptoms? You know, the, the patients out there, the listeners out there, you know, they're confused, they don't know what test to do, what to do. Let, before we even get into testing, what are the symptoms that you would hone in on as a classic history that may match a parasitic infection or a classic history that may match Lyme disease. And I'm talking about these hand in hand because these are the two most confusing, I think, sort of medical diagnoses out of there right out out there right now. And I really want to help people kind of understand the differences between the two and even help practitioners understand the differences between the two so we don't go down a path that we don't need to. Right. Yeah. So Lyme disease is a tough one. Uh, it has over 150 different symptoms associated with it. And people present differently depending on what's going on. So there's not always the classic case, oh, that's clearly Lyme disease. Usually Lyme is a piece to the puzzle. Uh, and that's, that's the big focus to also get across is even if you are diagnosed with 
a parasite infection or diagnosed with Lyme disease, it's not just about killing that parasite or not just about killing that Lyme disease, uh, that bacteria, because if it was that, then antibiotics would be the cure for Lyme disease. And we know that they don't, you know, they can kind of cover up symptoms and they can keep people, you know, feeling somewhat good. As soon as you stop, then they start crashing. And we know that there's more pieces to it. So uh, Lyme disease is a tough one to really diagnose. And oftentimes it, everything else has been ruled out must be Lyme disease is unfortunate, really the, the case. As far as parasites, uh, parasites have really distinct symptoms, uh, food sensitivities and food allergies, which I see only increasing. That is a classic parasite sign, especially a dairy allergy or a dairy sensitivity. You want to pretty much guarantee that that is a parasite infection. Um, having liver issues, having like the liver gallbladder bile duct mm-hmm. backed up, which I see so chronically uh, happening with chronically ill people. Parasites are a uh, pretty big reason why that happens. There's a lot of parasites that love to be up in there. Giardia, uh, strongyloides, uh, roundworms can crawl from the GI tract up into the liver bile duct area, liver flukes, you know, these different critters can basically clog it up. Uh, itchy butt, uh, especially with uh, kids, uh, that's mm-hmm. usually a pinworm type issue. Grinding of teeth at night. So when you huh. go to bed, parasites typically wake up. When they wake up, they start stressing you out while you're sleeping. And when you're getting stressed out while you're sleeping, you start clenching, you start grinding. So if you chip your teeth away, uh, if your jaw is sore in the morning, uh, or if the dental hygienist or your dentist says, it looks like you're clenching or grinding, most likely it's not probably just stress you're going through. It's probably more likely a chronic parasitic infection. Uh, any GI disturbance, IBS, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, uh, just constipation, diarrhea, you know, alternating, you know, classic for parasite type infection. Um, skin issues, I really suffer with a lot of skin issues and clearing out parasites just dramatically changed that. Big uh, purple bags underneath your eyes, which often get associated with the food allergy, food sensitivity, those are typically just caused from parasites. So the little little munchkins run around, little kids, and you see those big purple bags under the eyes, like, oh gosh, let's let's talk parents uh, here. We, we need to cleanse our kids of parasites. And oh my gosh, their little tummy aches and uh, upset, you know, uh, irritability and things like that oftentimes goes away when you start clearing those parasites out. Okay, so just to recap for everybody out there listening, so many different symptoms of chronic parasitic infections, food allergies, gut issues, food intolerances, and some of the ones that may surprise you, things like uh, circles under the eyes or grinding of the teeth, uh, joint pain, joint swelling, these are all things to think about. And is that true of chronic Lyme disease as well? Where would you put common symptoms of chronic Lyme disease? Well, Lyme disease, so I believe chronic Lyme disease is the big issue. Acute can manifest as uh, kind of like an extreme flu, cold, fever type thing. Mm-hmm. When we look at chronic Lyme disease, probably one of the most telltale signs is more of what we'd call moving arthritis or moving joint pain, where it's, oh, it's my shoulder hurts today. And then the next day, oh, shoulder feels fine, but now my knee or my hip hurts. That's pretty classic for chronic Lyme disease. Okay, and how far from, and do you believe with chronic Lyme disease there was always an acute episode that then became chronic, or is it a lot more subtle? 
these are fantastic questions, Dr. Tab. I'm so, sorry. These uh, are the Lyme things disease. like we debate in the patient room all the time. It's like, um, because I, I too, like you, I don't think the testing's reliable. So your history mm-hmm. and the timing of the symptoms, I feel like is so critical. So that's what I'm trying to trying to understand from you as you've worked with this and, you know, done so much work in, in this particular field, what you sort of think. Yeah. So research basically shows, um, so Lyme disease has been known to be transmitted via a tick bite. It's technically a sting. The ticks more pierce you kind of like a mosquito bite, but um, only 30% of the cases though will develop a bullseye rash. So if you think about that Target retail store and their logo, essentially that's what can show up on the skin. They call that a bullseye rash. And that bullseye rash is a telltale sign. That is a diagnostic sign of Lyme disease. However, Mm -hmm. If you don't ever get one, it doesn't mean you don't have Lyme disease because only 30% of people will have actually develop that bullseye rash. Now, the question is, is why? And I believe it's because there's different forms of the Lyme disease uh, spirochete. So Lyme disease is a spiral-shaped bacteria. It loves to drill, loves to burrow. So it doesn't like to float around the bloodstream uh, very much, which is why a lot of the tests are inaccurate. So it likes to go into joints. It likes to go into tissues and organs and things like that. And, and really drill in. So when you um, stress it, that's when it, can, that's when it can morph or it can change shape. So it can go from the spiral shaped into a sphere or a ball form. And the mm-hmm. sphere ball form, for instance, it can transform pretty quickly. Uh, bacteria have this thing called quorum sensing where they can communicate with one another. Essentially, it's like they have cell, phone, uh, cell phones all together. So if, if one senses danger, it kind of communicates with the rest of them in the body. And then they can mm-hmm. all transform into this ball sphere cyst form. Well, that sphere cyst form is a thousand times more resistant against antibiotics than when it's a spiral key. So this is why people can feel better when you're on antibiotics because basically the Lyme just hides. Mm-hmm. And then when you stop, it comes back out and then you crash again. So when you're looking at this, um, there's another, there's other forms as well too, like uh, Lyme disease produces biofilm, which some people believe is another form. And then also, uh, it's got this intracellular form, which is where autoimmunity comes in. So we've got multiple forms. And let's say that that tick transmits uh, that Lyme disease bacteria, but it doesn't transmit an active spirochete form. It transmits a cyst form. Well, then you'll mm-hmm. never, you're not going to get an acute form of it or you're not going to get a rash because it's not active spiral-shaped form. And this is where when you actually look at research, there's so many different vectors from uh, mosquitoes to uh, people uh, that can actually transmit Lyme. So it's not just about ticks. So I'm on the, the firm belief that you can absolutely have Lyme without ever having an acute episode, without ever having a bullseye rash, and Lyme mm-hmm. disease can still be part of your journey. Wow. All right, guys, you heard it from a Lyme expert. You don't have to have the acute classic bullseye rash, all the things we learn in med school or in the in the textbooks to necessarily have chronic Lyme disease. Let's move on though. These are two really complicated uh, topics. Let's move on to diagnosis. What do you think is the best way to diagnose? Uh, and just, you know, the history, I always say, we have to go back to our histories and our physical exams are key. But what is the best way to diagnose both of these really confusing areas of, of medicine? How would you diagnose chronic Lyme disease and how would you diagnose a chronic parasitic infection? Well, if you want to rely on lab tests, they're not 100% accurate, but of course we're kind of trained in our society, run a lab test. So if you want to run a lab test, um, there are a couple stool samples that you could potentially run for parasitic infections. 
diagnostic solutions has one called GI Map. Um, mm-hmm. There's another one called parawellnessresearch.com. But the only thing I would hesitate on is before you spend three, four, five, six hundred dollars on a test. I mean, really, come back to my comment. I have yet to see somebody where parasites are not a factor. So I would rather mm-hmm. put finances toward treatment and let's assume you have an infection versus let's run a test. And even if it comes back negative, I'm still going to treat it as if it's positive based on my experience and what I see. And that's a, that's maybe not as similar as Lyme disease, um, but Lyme is usually one of those last things to address. So if you know the order to uh, go through in a protocol, you'll find mm-hmm. that the chronic infection, the viral and the bacterial side is one mm-hmm. of the last pieces to address. So um, I always treat it as if there are chronic infections, not just Lyme disease, but a lot of other things like Bartonella, Babesia, Epstein-Barr, retroviruses, finding more and more prevalent in the population as well too. But it's if you understand the order, then it's later on. And if you want to run a lab test for Lyme disease, mm-hmm. again, nothing's 100%, but uh, DNA Connections out of Colorado has a Lyme urine panel. And you can mm-hmm. actually just, with even out a physician, uh, just as a general population, you can call and order it. And it's a home urine test that looks for Lyme disease, a bunch of co-infections as well. But again, it's, you know, you're looking at probably five or 700 bucks when, you know, you could be putting that toward a protocol um, that goes through, assuming you have everything positive. It, I, I just feel like that's a better way to go with where testing's at nowadays. So you're not a big fan of Igenics, which a lot of people say is a gold standard and stuff like that. What do you think about that test? No, no, I really, I mean, I just honestly don't like any of the tests that are out there. Um, you know, there's some newer ones coming out, like Armin Labs um, mm-hmm. has what Pharmacin Labs used to do with the iSpot. They're kind of doing the LE Spot test. And I think, you know, there's more validity, validity with those type of things. But in the end, I feel like it's going to come back to history, evaluation, and then also just having a really in-depth questionnaire that hones in on these type of uh, symptoms that are really more specific for those infections. Gotcha. Well, now let's shift gears a little bit. So, you know, once you sort of identify, hey, I've got these symptoms, uh, you're working with a practitioner, and you've landed maybe on one of these diagnoses, either through history and physical or through some of the testing that Dr. Davidson has mentioned, I know what the question is. The next question is, well, what do I do? And that what do I do has taken some of my patients across the globe, trying to seek out answers and trying to find solutions. What, in your opinion, is the protocol? What is the proper way to address some of these things and you know how different are they between um, you know Lyme versus parasites versus different things what tell me what you're thinking there well in terms of protocol I, I look at it all now to clarify if somebody has an acute Lyme disease infection then there's nothing wrong with going in and getting an IV of Argentin 23 there's nothing wrong with doing hyperthermia therapy and those type of things However, when I look at chronic Lyme disease, I see a lot of these type of treatments uh, cost a lot of money, and I, I feel as if there's better bang for your buck in just understanding how to map your protocol out in a better order to be more effective. So where I would always start with every client is opening up the drainage pathways. Now, I love to define drainage and detox differently. Detox is grabbing onto chemicals, pulling them out. Drainage is the normal pathways that just need to move things. So for instance, you going number two pooping, If you don't poop at least one time a day, you are automatically backed up in that area. 
uh, I believe the typical or the average person should be going one to two times. Uh, somebody that's looking for health restoration, now we're looking at two to three times a day. Not on the side of getting watery stools, but you really want to make sure that that pathway is open and moving. The liver bile mm-hmm. duct, the kidneys, the skin not sweating. My wife didn't sweat for years and we thought, oh, what a blessing. You don't even need deodorant. Mm-hmm. Let alone did we realize that that was a drainage pathway clogged. And that was just keeping more toxins and more things inside of her body until she crashed. Um, You've got the lymphatic system, the brain drains to the lymph. So it's important to open these drainage pathways up before you step into, oh, I'm going to go kill all kinds of bugs or I'm going to go detox, you know, glyphosate and heavy metals and radiation on my body. If those Mm -hmm. pathways are even somewhat stressed out and you don't support those, you're going to crash, you're going to hurt, you're going to get symptoms, you're going to get inflamed, you're going to get sensitive, and you're going to be like, oh, this protocol's not working, when all you really needed to do was prep your body. You had to prepare it for what's coming down the pipeline, and that's really opening up the drainage pathway. Got it. Okay, so opening up the drainage pathway is number one, and that's gut, kidney, skin, lymphs, all of that is, these are all the drainage pathways that we talk about that really lays the foundation before you start doing much of anything else. And if there is a step two, where would somebody go next after addressing those that key issue? Yeah, step two is parasites. The reason that parasites have to be addressed earlier on is mold spores will store inside of parasites. So you can't fully clear mold out of your body until you parasite cleanse. Parasites are sponges for heavy metals. They'll hold Mm -hmm. six, sometimes eight times their body weight just in heavy metals. So if you're like, hey, Dr. J, I just really want to detox heavy metals, you got to clear parasites out first because otherwise you're not going to get access to those heavy metals because they're going to be inside of parasites. And then the last piece, talking about Lyme disease, uh, Dr. Alan McDonald has actually found that Lyme disease bacteria live safely within nematodes, which is a type of parasite. So putting the pieces together, okay, we know that bacteria and viruses can live inside of parasites. We know mold spores can replicate and live inside of parasites. We know that heavy metals are stored inside of parasites. So it only makes sense as we look at the protocol that you want to open up drainage and then address parasites. And then that's going to allow you to further move down the path of detoxifying the chemicals out of the body. And then the last step, like I mentioned, is really clearing out that chronic infection like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus, and so on. Gotcha. Okay. So parasites are second, opening up drainage pathways first. Let's do one more. What would number three be? Yeah, I would, I would go into the detoxification realm. And one of the biggest things to detox is heavy metals. You know, we share one atmosphere, meaning what happens one part of the globe is going to affect us inevitably. You know, mm-hmm. we see this with Fukushima in Japan and the whole West Coast of the U.S. just getting annihilated with radiation and seeing that now showing up all over the place. But heavy metal toxicity is definitely an epidemic. The mercury, the lead, the arsenic, cadmium, you know, all these type of metals. And they'll actually create, they're, they're part of ingredients that'll create biofilm that then protect, protect chronic infections like Lyme disease. So we know lead and mercury, for instance, some of the more common heavy metals will actually be ingredients in biofilm, which then will be a blanket essentially or a layer uh, protecting these really bad chronic infections from our immune system being able to get to them. So cleanse, uh, open up drainage, cleanse parasites out, then really support detoxification. And when we're looking at detoxification, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to clear the heavy metals out in just a month or two or doing a three-day cleanse your body will only be able to release so much 
Otherwise, it's going to stress the body out and actually put the body at risk if it tries to dump it all at once. And so oftentimes, our toxins that we've accumulated have come from our entire lifetime, that we've got some passed on from our mom, and then we've just accumulated from our environment. So something that hasn't happened typically overnight isn't going to get fixed overnight. So we want to kind of view detoxification as it's more of a longer-term thing that we want to support in grabbing and pulling these chemicals out. And then, of course, as we live our daily lives, we're going to be exposed to them, and so we need some type of you know, maintenance as well to protect us. Gotcha. Okay. So those are three key steps. Now I'm curious as you've watched, you know, parasites, I feel like maybe a tiny bit more straightforward, but what's your opinion of antiparasitic medications? And then what's your opinion of um, all the antibiotics for chronic Lyme disease and people that are on these very intense protocols uh, from different areas of the world that come in and they're doing rounds and rounds of IV antibiotics? What's your opinion of, of those treatment modalities? I'm very much not a fan. Um, my wife mm-hmm. got sick when she was seven years old in Wisconsin. She's now, you know, 30, uh, 36, if I'm doing the math right, so <laughs> quite a while ago, right? Like um, right. almost, you know, almost 30 years ago. And she never presented with a bullseye rash. She went into a coma for six weeks after she was given some medications and, and developed brain encephalitis. And they figured out back then, oh, it's actually Lyme disease, which is, you know, way long ago. She went on Mm -hmm. IV antibiotics for a year, oral antibiotics for a year. And I look at that, okay, if that was going to be the cure, then she would have never had any health issues later on. And her health Mm -hmm. issues just continued and continued from heart surgeries to sinus scraping to nearly dying after my daughter was born, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, almost seven years ago. So there's been a lot of uh, crazy things that have happened in her life. And if antibiotics were a solution, she would have been fine uh, because, you know, having a Lyme disease infection, having a Bartonella infection, like antibiotics go after bacteria, but clearly there's missing pieces to it. And parasite medication, I mean, that's there, right? The albendazole, the praziquanil, the, um, you know, all, all these different types of meds. I think you could maybe use it off the bat to kind of bring the load down if somebody's in a really severe case. But I'm a, such a big fan of natural herbs uh, done in the right ratios, done at the right times. And, and I've just seen such amazing results with going the natural. So I, I, of course, favor that. Now, you have to take that as that's my bias as well, too. I was right. I was uh, trained in chiropractic, which is very more natural oriented right. and nothing about pharmaceuticals. So, of course, I'm going to have a natural bias to it. But just seeing results, I really believe there's hope going the natural. Well, I honestly, and me being the opposite, trained more in the conventional world and seeing some of the protocols that are out there for Lyme disease management, I'm not seeing a lot of success for the effort. You know what I mean? And the, the effort is intense. It's it's a lot of medication. It's a lot of visits to the doctor. And I'm not seeing true long-term resolution. So I think anytime we can work with the body, and again, my, a lot of my personal emphasis has been on how do I work with the immune system, which is many of the things you just talked about. But if we could strengthen the immune system, would that be a more appropriate way of dealing with some of these things than to bombard the body with different medications and antibiotics? that, again, like you're saying, sometimes give short-term results, but don't necessarily give long-term results. I'm assuming, Dr. Davidson, that you sort of rub elbows with a lot of people in the world of Lyme disease and parasitic infection. Is there a consensus that you've seen? Is there success across the board with the different experts? Give us some insight into that. Like, you know, with some of these summits that you've done, what has been the takeaway, um, maybe from the chronic Lyme disease summit and even from the parasite summit? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I've interviewed over 100 people just in the category of Lyme disease and the experts out there. 
And I would say that there's not really a consensus, uh, which is a little frustrating. But but I, yeah. I, I'm used to that. I mean, even in the chiropractic trained world, there's no standard of practice for chiropractic, meaning that it's very individualized. And I feel like that's the same way right now as we look at even in the uh, functional medicine world of Lyme disease, even inside of parasites, you know, I see myself and my good friend, Dr. Todd Watts, really helping to lead the charge in teaching people what we're doing to get results. But I mean, that's, that's just our clinical, you know, our clinical expertise. So my, my thought, just like you had said, instead of focusing just with trying to kill that bug, focus mm-hmm. with improving the body overall. I mean, just look at Lyme disease, for instance. So you get a tick bite, or as I said, a technically a tick sting. Well, ticks carry bacteria, they carry viruses, they carry retroviruses, they carry parasites. So even mm-hmm. if you were to get a acute Lyme disease infection, I believe that the, that the right solution isn't just an antibiotic because antibiotics aren't gonna touch the viral, the retroviral, or the parasitic side of it that I believe you need more of a broad approach to improve or increase the immune system along with things that will make sure to really address all those things. And we get too focused on a specific name or a specific bug like Lyme disease. And, and I mean, it, it, has, it has a lot of implications and it is probably one of the nastiest bacteria out there that really causes chronic illness. But you have to remember if Lyme is present, then so are it's all its other friends and cronies, you know, of different types of pathogens. And so we need to look at the body more as a whole rather than, okay, what's going to kill that bug? Because then there's just another bug that's going to step up or another thing that's going to step up rather than looking at it through a protocol order. Then it starts to raise the body's health up, opening up drainage, going after parasites, removing the toxins where these pathogens then can't thrive. And now the immune system should easily be able to overtake these chronic infections and bring health back. So let's just move out of the Lyme and the parasite world for just a minute and expand our microscope some to just health in general. You know, and for every listener out there who is listening today and is maybe not dealing with Lyme disease and maybe not necessarily dealing with the parasite, what are steps, given the terrain, as you've already brought up with uh, why fry, I think is your, are your words that I'm going to steal and use over and over again now, but everything from Wi-Fi to, you know, our toxic environment, our incredibly high stress loads, the quality of our food and our nutrients and our soil and all these other factors, in your opinion, dialing back away from maybe these two particular conditions, what are the one or two things people should be doing for their health on a consistent basis to sort of shield them from, from the onslaught? Like, what do we do? I feel like the, you know, sort of the crux for our ancestors a few generations ago was infectious disease. It's kind of the same now, but in a very different way, because it's much more subtle, you know, whereas a a disease or a virus or a microbe would come in and take them away very quickly because they didn't have the medication or the means. We have a very more subtle sort of slow, almost slow degradation is the way to think of it between ourselves and our children. and, And when it comes to our health, so what are the things that we can do personally, what can we do as parents? You know, if you had to give out a couple of tips like, hey, do this, and you're going to guard yourself against a lot of what is the next public health epidemic in our in our society, what would you tell folks? Yeah, well, this is a little off kilter from maybe a typical, like, take this supplement or do this, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably uh, always strange coming from somebody that has co-founded a supplement company, but it all comes back to our stress level. You know, what yeah. I see in the chronic illness side is oftentimes a lot of type A type personalities, very driven. What else can I do? What else do I need to do? You know, very organized, like massive to-do list. And so Mm -hmm. my first thought is 
what can we take off your to-do list? What can we put on your stop doing list? I believe getting healthy, improving your health, improving your happiness, improving your life and relationships comes more with what can we do less of and so we can actually start focus on more living and having a calm environment. And so I would say create a stop doing list. So not what else can we add to it? What can we take off that list? And then also look at our environment as it's either helping us heal, meaning it's promoting a healing environment like I mentioned the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth and stuff like that. If you have that going, you have this whole smart home, then that environment is stressing you out and it's pushing you in the opposite direction of health. So how do we create an environment that is less stressful on the body? And there's going to be cases where, hey, you're in an apartment complex, there's 20 different Wi-Fi uh, meters, you know, Wi-Fi routers around you and you just, you, you literally don't have the means to move or get out of that. But think longer term, start creating a vision of what is, what does your life look like and what does your environment need to mm. be to help support your health on a maximum level? And I feel like if we start looking at it through that lens, life becomes a lot less stressful and a lot less, oh, I've researched this herb and it does that and this herb and does that and we're taking 50 supplements then we forget why we're taking them to more of like, okay, let's focus on the big things. Let's make sure you're drinking pure, healthy water and enough of it. Let's make sure you're optimizing your sleep. Let's really look at your home house environment and try to really mm -hmm. minimize the stressors there because if you have those foundational things that's only going to propel and really move you forward and and then assuming that you've got the protocol in the right order i feel like that's a one-two punch to get maximum results and then that would extend to our children as well right so understanding like their stress thresholds their happiness quotient or factor um it sounds like you're advocating for that when it comes to our kids too Oh, absolutely. I mean, our kids are a mirror image of us. I mean, my wife and I, granted, we've been going through a lot of stress lately. Uh, we're in the process of moving. We've got a summit that's uh, literally happening, you know, as we speak. Um, we've recently decided we wanted to uh, adopt and add to our family. So we're in the middle of going through those interviews and things like that. And it's like, wow, this is, this is way too much going on than we're used to. And I can see that in my daughter, Leela, like, her stress level is increased. So whatever mm -hmm. we do for ourselves is going to be mirrored image in our kids. And that's why it's so important for us to get control and take hold of our own health and our own environment, because then that's going to directly impact the kids and the other people around us too. Gotcha. Well, this has been so insightful and so helpful, and I'm sure everybody out there listening has gained a ton of information, and I bet they'll have a lot of questions as well. Dr. Davidson, if uh, somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, easiest place is my website, drjdavidson.com. Uh, Dr. is D-R-J is J-A-Y, and then davidson.com. Perfect. And for everybody else out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. And if you have questions about today's show and you want to connect with me on Instagram or Facebook, it's at Dr. TazMD. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Dr. Davidson, thank you so much again for joining us. And I'm sure all of us are going to take your advice to heart, whether we're a practitioner or a patient or simply trying to get answers for a loved one. I will see you all next time.